this is creating vision. I am the thin man in the black hood, here with two tales of fear and unease. We cherish our loved ones, our family. They are everything to us, aren't they? Dear listener, it would be a shame if we lost them. Such tragedies do occur, and it's often out of our hands. It isn't always that way, however. What if we were given a choice, an ultimatum, about their fates. A choice like this haunts a certain friend of mine, and it has weighed heavy on his mind for five days. It's been five days since I killed my family. Five long days. I've been sitting here Waiting. Just waiting for a knock on the door, waiting for someone to come looking, for someone to take me away. It's been five days since I killed my family. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Had to do it while they were asleep. Execution style or whatever it's called. One shot to the back of the head and it was over. I'd never fired a gun before, until five days ago. Gun show claws made it easy. It was in and out, no questions asked. It was scary how easy it was, really, but that's not the scariest part. It's been five days since I killed my family, and I really do miss them. I wish I didn't have to do it. I'm just so relieved they didn't scream, but I couldn't believe how much blood there was. That's not the scariest part. It's been five days since I killed my family. I didn't have a choice. The choice was made for me, truth be told, but it was clear as day when it was explained to me. That's not the scariest part, though. It's been five days since I killed my family. There was a guiding hand then, and it's here with me now. That's not the scariest part, though. It's been five days since I killed my family, but it was with me before this happened. It started with a whisper from the closet, then from under the bed. It was with me in the car, at the office, wherever I found myself. It spoke of desires beyond the pale, fetishizing the call of the void. But that's not the scariest part. It's been five days since I killed my family, but I saw it six days ago. Its neck bent back and its arms reached far. Its mouth contorted slowly, producing damp cavernous rattles. But that's not the scariest part. 
It's been five days since I killed my family. I killed them in their sleep, in their beds, but they stand here before me. Their arms are reaching out to me. Their mouths try to form words, but nothing comes out. Only a wet gurgle now and then. I can see through the gaping holes in their faces, right through to the fireplace. There's a lovely photo of the three of us on the mantle. I've been looking at that mostly, but they just stand there like they're waiting for me, waiting for me to stand up and come to them. It's been five days since I killed my family, but they're here with me now. That's the scariest part. coming to you live from the open road. Well, perhaps story isn't the correct word. Consider it to be a confession, a tell-all documented to let us all know about the military ritual. This is what needs to be said. I'm saying this so that nobody else has to. To my family and friends. I'm sorry. I enlisted at 18. I was vulnerable. And it felt right, I guess. Growing up in Kempner, the base wasn't far. Almost everyone else from my graduating class at least attempted to enlist. I, I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. They said I was born for this shit. I was built to kill. You never hear about that. That kind of talk. We're dehumanized. So is the enemy. Service is transactional, dressed as patriotism. We fight together for our country but we all die alone regardless. I'd done two tours by the time I was 20. I was proud of my time. I was even more proud of my body count. There was this one game. We would play with the kids wherever we were stationed. Regretfully, this was one of my favorites at the time. When you go into a new town, you'd round up as many kids as you could find 
getting them excited about some free candy you had back at the truck for them. Once they were excited enough, you'd lead them out of town, Pied Piper style, and then tell them to race over to our truck parked at the other side of a clearing we'd buried mines in the night before. It was like fish in a barrel. I loved it. This is a war crime, yes. That won't matter at all in the end. During my third tour of duty, myself and four others from my unit were shadow deployed. We were led by a sergeant major I hadn't seen before. There's no record of these operations for the sake of national security. I've come to understand these operations are seldom led by your own superiors, again, for security reasons. While inbound, we were told the operation would be similar to Neptune's spear. The operation was to run for 12 hours, and we were to monitor the time to the best of our ability. It was billed as a search and destroy mission. If anything was found alive, change that. I guess that's why I was chosen for this. It's kill or die. And I had no plans to die. 0103, our helicopter touched down. It had already become clear things were going to be different with this operation. We landed about two kilometers from the Sabah al Ahmad Reserve. This was odd to me. Our presence was clearly made known by landing so close. I wondered if this was for the sake of intimidation. This wasn't the time to question, though. Never was. Anyway, I wondered if we were about to take out someone big. However, new orders were then given. We were now ordered to capture six civilians alive and to spare the rest. As we descended on the reserve, I looked back for a moment and I noticed the pilot was still sitting in the helicopter, motionless. By 0140, We'd rounded up six civilians from Sabah Alamad. None of them put up any sort of fight or dispute. At least two of them had a smile on their face during their capture, from what I saw at least. Oh, and 47. We were ordered to leave the civilians on foot to an unknown location, coordinates only known by the Sergeant Major. Oh, 358. We arrived at a small orchard close to the border. The orchard consisted of 12 apple trees in two rows of six. At gunpoint, the civilians climbed the trees and removed every apple. 0412. Sure. 0731, the civilians were force-fed the apples, core and all. Some vomited from either the excess of fruit or the heat from the rising sun, but we forced them to ingest anything their bodies rejected. Not a bite was to be wasted. That was an order. 07. 35, the sergeant major handed the five of us what looked like crude handmade bowie knives. The blades appeared to be ivory with ragged leather-bound handles. We arranged the civilians in a small circle, sitting cross-legged and facing each other. 0740, we disavowed the civilians in unison. The sergeant major ordered us to remove our gloves and cut across the palms of our hands from ring finger to the webbing beside our thumbs. I've been on autopilot during this entire operation and this was the first time I actually considered what I was about to do. No time to question though, just act. 0744, with our bare bloody hands, we were ordered to reach into the stomachs of his dying citizens and empty the contents into the center of the circle. It was important that they were still alive during this. 
the acid fruit. The acid soaked fruit burned like hell. All of the citizens were dead shortly after. We were then ordered to make a single pile of the apples in the center of the circle. After this, we were ordered to cover the contents in sand. Before covering the fruit, we placed the ivory knives on top of the viscera. They sank slowly into the bloody mess. After the contents were covered, the sergeant major congratulated us and thanked us for what we had done, saying that the world would be thankful for what we'd spared it from. We arrived back at the helicopter at 12.58. I remembered my hands stinging from the copious amounts of sand caked in blood on my palms. Before boarding, Sergeant Major shook each of our hands and thanked us again and then announced he needed to give thanks before we could leave. He stepped into the helicopter, sat down, and in one swift motion shot himself. We stood there for a moment, stunned. The events of the last 12 hours seemed to have suddenly sunk in. My knees buckled. A few of us cried. We just sat in the sun for a moment while the pilot still sat silently in the helicopter. Upon arriving back at the base, we were immediately discharged. This is what truly disturbed me at the time, more than anything else that had occurred. This was the ultimate betrayal. I signed document after document, swearing I wouldn't speak of the operation. Any question I had, any issue brought up was met with intimidating silence by superiors. The final document, Form 1G799, was essentially an NDA threatening retaliation if I came forward about what had occurred the night before. Current events are showing that there's a side to this world many will never see or even understand. Whatever happened during that operation, ritual, whatever it was, was part of something I still don't understand. Through support groups and my own research, I'm discovering more every day. These rituals happen more than we think, in ways and circumstances we would never consider. There's a reason people in power die mysteriously, a reason why the human trafficking syndicate running this world will never be stopped. The higher powers that be are far from benevolent, that much I understand now. There's a degree of knowledge available to those of us on the surface, but the rest exists beneath, in the abyss of whatever echelon stands above us. Please understand, I will not be available for comment by the time this is online. No amount of encryption can protect me. I'm sure someone will be staging my suicide this time tomorrow. Before this is deleted, altered, or whatever else, please just take note of the following. The alleged Thor wasn't alone, but left alone. There's a reason it's always a shallow grave. Find Kenneth R. Colbert and Gina Alton. They are forced to wear the social dress. We're only here to please. We will never understand the falling hand 
tin redder and code. Oh fuck! production and performances by Mike Bamford and stories by Jim Goulton. Suffer the vision further by following us on Instagram at Grim Vision Podcast. If the night left you cold and shaken, consider donating to our Patreon for exclusive content and assorted ephemera at patreon.com slash grimvisionpodcast. We want to thank Gailey Hughes for her support making this episode possible. The meek, the uninitiated, and general well-wishers may contact us at grimvisionpodcast at gmail.com. This has been Grim Vision, and I am the thin man in the black hat, and I'll be seeing you again. <laughs>